Hello, welcome to Fruitbox, Fruitnet's series of conversations about the fresh fruit and vegetable business with me, Chris White. Every week I talk down the line from here in London with people from across the world of fresh produce about some of the biggest issues they face today. My aim is that these 15-minute conversations twice a week give you the best insight into how to do better business in fresh fruits and vegetables. Today I want to talk about berries. How have they become the fastest growing category in the fresh produce world today? What is it about berries that has so captured the imaginations of shoppers everywhere? And what does it need to do to maintain this level of growth in demand in future? Who better then to discuss all of this on Fruitbox today than Soren Bjorn, the president of Driscoll's, the world's largest berry company. Soren's talking to me down the line from Watsonville in Northern California. Soren, hi, welcome to Fruitbox. Hi, Chris. Thanks for having me. Now, Soren, you don't need me to tell you that berries have been a huge success, uh, the success story of the last decade, with big growth in sales in every market in the world and still huge numbers of consumers who don't buy them. What's been the key to the growth of the category? Is it that the world has suddenly woken up to blueberries and that's what's transformed the berry market? You know, I think it really, for all the berries, or, you know, really all four, uh, there's blueberries, raspberries, blackberries, or strawberries, they sort of have things in common, which is they taste great, they're really good for you, and they're super convenient. I mean, really, the only thing you have to do is rinse the berries and maybe cut the calyx off uh, the strawberries. And so it's really right where consumers want to be. And, um, and so the category is really benefiting from being on trend with, you know, flavor, health, and convenience. But the, the thing that, that interests me is that that's kind of always been the case. We've always had blueberries and raspberries and blackberries and strawberries, and those attributes of health and so on and so forth have always been there. What is it that's been so transformational in the, in the last decade? Uh, why have we seen this sudden, not sudden, but this surge in, in demand for berries? Yeah, I think what we've really been able to do in the category is, uh, one, improve the product significantly, I think there's probably no better evidence of that in blackberries. You know, I remember my early days of going to the UK and sitting down with Marks and Spencer and talking about the blackberry category. And the rea- reality was that most of the blackberries that Marks and Spencer sold were not really edible. They were just for cooking. Yeah. And today they're just amazing. They are really one of the best tasting fruits that are out there. And so I think as, a, as an industry, we've been able to improve the product quite significantly. And then the second thing is, it's just much more readily available. Mm. You take blueberries, for example, it was really only available in the summer and in the winter, you know, uh, Chile and Argentina in the wintertime, and then sort of your more traditional blueberry regions like Poland in the European market or, you know, in, in North American market, you know, North Carolina or New Jersey or Michigan. But now the, the blueberries are available year round and, and they're actually not only available, they're also a lot better than they used to be. Now, you've spoken about new varieties, uh, you know, better supply and then better better cold chain and all that kind of stuff. But I guess actually the, and you, you talked about Marks and Spencer's a moment ago and the, the visits you used to do there. But I mean, one of the key things is Marks and Spencer's and all the other major food retailers around the world have just given berries much more shelf shelf space. And that's really been the decisive, the game changer, hasn't it? Yeah, I mean, the berry category is still very much an impulse category. So, you know, while a lot of shoppers do have berries on their shopping list, if you go into a store and you see the display and you see the the beautiful display of berries, 
then you're much more likely to buy it. And then if on top of that, the berries taste good, well, then you got to come back. And so most retailers today, certainly when berries are readily available, that would be the display they have in the front of the store, you know, not only in the front of the produce department, but it may be the very first thing you see when you walk into a store. And so we know from some of our best customers is that when they try other categories, they cannot generate the sales that they can generate with berries, which I think is a good indicator that that category is uh, uniquely stronger in that regard. And there would be very few other categories in produce that are like that. I mean, I think probably cherries would be a little bit like that, but they are highly seasonal. They're only available for quite short periods of time, whereas berries are now you know, pretty much always available. But, but you'll remember the days when uh, people said, uh, well, strawberries, they, they don't really taste of anything, and I'll only ever buy them when, in this country, we say, you know, you buy strawberries when Wimbledon comes around. Uh, so the change there has been just in the, in, the, in, the, in the taste and the quality of the varieties that you've got available, hasn't it? That's been, that's been very important. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the trick in really any category in produce is that as you, as you expand availability, uh, can you stay true to what you're all about is, you know, which really should be about the flavor. There's no reason to eat bad tasting strawberries. Mm-hmm. And so the, the, the risky run is that you go and find a geography and a time of year when you could supply a lot more fruit, but if the fruit isn't very good, then that really hurts demand. And I think other fruit categories have suffered from that. I would probably argue that the, the, the top fruit or the stone fruit category uh, would be, the stone fruit category in particular would be a category where in the effort to try to make uh, the, the fruit available year round, the average offer has gotten significantly worse. And a lot of times the first thing a consumer tries is, is those really early peaches, okay, mm-hmm. from somewhere where you really shouldn't be growing peaches and that just don't taste of anything. And by the time you get to the really good features in the middle of summer, the consumers have already left the category. And I think that's the trick. And uh, the berry category, I think, has done generally a better job of that. That doesn't mean it's not, that it's perfect. Um, but uh, our customers, the retailers, push us really, really hard to make sure that our offer is very, very strong all the time. And of course, you've, you've helped yourself in, in that respect, haven't you? Because what you've started to do at Driscoll's is actually growing there is much closer to market. I mean, you can buy uh, Driscoll's grown uh, strawberries and, and raspberries here that have been grown in, in the Netherlands, uh, very close to uh, markets in, in Northern Europe. And you do that in, of course, in the US, but also in, in Asia now. Is, is, that a, is that a key factor as well for you? Yeah, it's absolutely critical. I mean, if you compare, for example, in, in the China market, where we are now uh, growing locally in China, you know, at certain times a year, uh, our locally grown blueberries in China are competing against blueberries that have been 35 days on a boat from Chile. Mm-hmm. I mean, th- there's no way, it doesn't matter how good your genetics was in Chile originally, by the time those blueberries arrive in China, they have no chance of competing against a locally grown product with the right genetics. And so really our whole strategy is, let's, we got to get all the production within trucking distance of where the consumer markets are. And that's really is the key that you, you don't want to, you know, ship blueberries four weeks in a container and you don't really want to fly raspberries and blackberries and, you know, in, in airplanes where you don't have the proper cold chain. And so the more you can do to get the production within trucking distance of where the consumers are, the better chance you have 
uh, to deliver on the promise of the light. Mm. So as close as possible and as far away as necessary, as, as, as we always hear in the business. But, but a lot of that then is around that differentiation that you achieve is around the brand, the Driscoll's brand. And I know the Driscoll's brand is crucial to the business. But the thing that I always wonder is how do you manage to get that penetration uh, when so many retailers insist on their own label? Um, that's a, that's a, quite a, a problem for you, isn't it? It's all about relevance. You have to bring something to the market that the retailers can't get otherwise. If they can get a like product from somebody else, then the brand is irrelevant. And so this is where the innovation comes in, you know, primarily through the genetics, but, but other innovation as well. So you really have to deliver on that all the time. And that never stops. You know, as soon as you stop, then somebody else catches up and then, and then your relevance goes down. Mm-hmm. So I would say in most markets, we've done a, you know, quite a good job of that. Uh, but there will also be places where other individual berries or in individual markets where it's much more of a struggle for us. But, you know, we are really committed to our brand. Um, you know, we think with, with investment, we make an R&D and developing genetics. One of the best ways to protect that investment, you know, is by having a really strong brand. I, I mentioned at the top of the show that about, about the huge boom in, in demand over the last uh, decade or more. Um, and as always, when there's a big boom in demand, there's always a big boom in plantings and therefore a big boom in production. And um, all the talk I know in the blueberry business is about this you know, surge in, in, in blueberry production that's uh, in the pipeline. Um, do you think we're running the risk perhaps of an oversupply of fruit, um, an oversupply perhaps of not such good quality fruit? Yeah, I think there's no doubt about that some of the largest plantings in blueberries around the world has really been with quite average genetics. Mm-hmm. I think you see that in Peru, you see that in Spain. And, and there sort of works in the short term when you're really filling a, a void in the marketplace. So I think, let's say, particularly Peru, really just walked into sort of a void in the marketplace. You know, in the Northern Hemisphere fall, uh, there really wasn't that much availability. And so, yeah, you can you could grow any blueberry and sell them. The, the problem is now we have, you know, Peru is one of the largest growing regions in the world. And then how do you generate demand now as the prices have come down significantly? And how do you have something that's really competitive? And in the end, the, the answer will end up being the same. You have to have something that really delight, delights consumers. Now, I think the advantage in Peru is that most growers made quite a bit of money very quickly. And so they have the cash to reinvest in the genetics and upgrade that genetics pretty quickly. But that's what they will need to do because the, the general offer that's there today, uh, it just will not be competitive in three or four years. Um, the good news is that they made a lot of money. So, you know, it will still work. The, the, this is the danger of therefore disappointing the consumers you were saying a moment ago about stone fruit. Is, is that the, 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 the problem? Yeah, because then uh, you run the risk that, you know, demand stops growing, right? Mm-hmm. And then it, it doesn't only just stop growing for that time of year. We know, for example, from the blackberry category is that we used to have this period of two or three months where the blackberries were really bad. But then they got really good. But for the first two months of being really good, we still didn't sell any because consumers have gotten so turned off from the category. And so, you know, one of the ways we really turned that category around was to convince our customers that they were better off not carrying blackberries than carrying bad eating blackberries. And, um, and that's turned out to be 
they're quite successful. And so, you know, it, it's, it's not only us, the, the brand or the shipper, it's also the retailer needs to have the discipline to making sure that it isn't just about availability, it's about availability of the right kind of product. Uh, and that's what drives demand. I notice here at my local supermarket here in London that they now have blackberries for, as it were, for eating and fresh blackberries for cooking that are, uh, uh, are marketed separately. Uh, let, let's end um, uh, this 15-minute conversation by talking a little bit about the coronavirus crisis that we're all living through everywhere in the world and which hopefully will, will leave us very soon and its impact on, on berry marketing and, the, and, and, in fact, on the future of berry marketing. How do you assess its impact? And do you think that markets are going to look very different in future? Well, I think there's a lot of things that are going to be looking quite different. Um, I don't think there's any doubt about it. We have learned that the, the overall food supply chain uh, has some pretty significant vulnerabilities to it that will need to get addressed. That's probably more about you know individual nations and geographies and how they want to go about doing that. But I think that's pretty clear that's going to happen. The berry business, I would say, fared okay throughout all of this. Um, we are not a category that consumers really stuck up on, right? So you, you don't go in and buy, you know, a, a lot of raspberries and, uh, and you might do that if they're on sale and you have room in the freezer, but, but nobody has room in the freezer because the freezer is full of all the other stuff that we went in and bought. <laughs> That's true. So, so berries didn't really uh, get a great benefit, uh, from this, okay, in the short term, but I think we will also, uh, recover much faster. And that's, that's what we're seeing in, in most of our markets now is that demand looks more similar to what we are used to and, and, and volumes and prices are, you know, are more or less in line. And so I think we will be, we'll be fine on the other end. Uh, barriers do really well in, even in tough economic times. Um, this isn't typically something that, uh, people aren't going to trade down their berries to lower quality and poor taste to save, you know, a, a few pennies. Um, yes. they, are, they are willing to uh, spend what it takes. And so I remember when we had the last financial crisis in, in 07 and 08, I remember sitting in uh, the office of Marks and Spencer in London, okay, and we went through every single produce item that they had in their stores and, say, and looked at which items were the least impacted by an economic recession and which ones were the most impacted. And berries were at the top of being the least impacted, according to their consumers. The consumers still were willing to pay extra for really good berries. And so therefore, they, didn't, they, never, they never downgraded their offer. And I think that will still be the answer uh, coming out of this as well. Well, let, let's hope that comes, uh, that comes to be true. Uh, Soren, I'm afraid that's all we've got time for today on Fruitbox. I was joined down the line today by Soren Bjorn, uh, president of Driscoll's. Great to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed, Soren. For being here today. Thank you. You can find today's conversation with Soren and the many others I'm having here at Fruitbox on our website, fruitnet.com. They can also be found on all the major podcast platforms. Just search for the word Fruitbox. Our audience, I'm pleased to say, continues to grow, and it's great that so many of you are listening in. If you want to feature in a future episode, then do drop me a line at chris at fruitnet.com. Don't forget to download our new magazine apps uh, from the App Store uh, or Google Play, Fresh Produce Journal, and Asia Fruit are now out, and we're busy working with uh, Eurofruit to get it ready uh, as soon as possible. They've been designed by uh, the people who are behind The Economist and other great magazines. So please take a look. I'm sure you'll like them. That was Fruitbox, and this is Chris White. Thank you for listening. Goodbye.